You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Well, I encourage you, if you've got one of these, uh, please uh, pull that out and turn with me to uh, 1 John, 1 John, the book of 1 John. And while you're doing that, let me just say Happy New Year to all of you. And uh, let me introduce myself. Maybe I've never met you before. My name is Craig Turnbull, and I have the privilege of serving on staff as one of the pastors here, and delighted to be standing in this place today to be sharing with you a message from God's Word, I believe a timely message for us all. I just want to remind you that our senior pastor, Robbie Simons, is away this weekend, obviously, and will be joining us next weekend, returning with a brand new series. So if you uh, are planning anything, plan to be there for that. Meanwhile, you've got me, and let me just say, while I have the opportunity, uh, how uh, thankful I am to be here, to be serving on this, uh, this team as a part of the staff, and thankful to be God's minister to you this morning. And I just want to say again how much I love you, I love this church, love you guys. But as the message today will unfold, I'll say very openly and very honestly at the front end, I need to love you better. I'm not doing well on this. God's calling me for a higher standard of love. He's calling us all for a higher standard of love. I hope it's a timely word for all of us. We all need to grow in this. I believe that's the truth. Uh, The main point of today's message from God's word for all of us today is love one another. It's for all of us, okay? It's for me. It's for you. So listen, if you've got a seat next to you, just save it for me, okay? I'm coming soon. It's for me. It's for you. Love one another. Why is this important? Well, because love is super confusing, and we are super confused at doing it. Love is super confusing, and we are super confused at doing it. Uh, Before 1 John chapter 4 was written, some 50, 60 years before that, in the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry, he's walking around, and in Matthew 22, we have recorded words of what Jesus Christ feels to be the most important commandments. In fact, it's response to this question in, in chapter 22, teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Pause. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. The second greatest commandment. To love your neighbor. And if it means that much to the Lord Jesus... If it's the second greatest commandment, and it's that confusing, well, maybe, maybe this is a very important message for us all. Can I just suggest to you this morning that what's at stake here, if we get this wrong, what's at stake here is a loss of the glory of God. What's at stake is the glory of the Lord. What's at stake is my obeying him and his commandments. What's at stake is me sensing the weight and the blessing of his pleasure as I obey. What's at stake is the advancing of the kingdom. What's at stake is healing of my family. What's at stake is the restoring of my marriage. What's at stake is the love, the right love for my kids. What's at stake is me living rightly in the world, living in the community around me, living with my neighbors, living in the workplace, living in the church. There's a lot at stake here if we get this wrong. It's that important. And so I'm praying as, as, as God leads us through this passage that you would be willing to hear what the Lord would say to you 
today. Our passage again, 1 John chapter 4. Let me read it for us. Beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. All right, so a little uh, loveology, as it were, today from God's word in this new year, first message of the new year. And hey, before we get there, can I just ask you, are you excited about the new year? Uh, honestly, some of you are sitting there looking at 2016 and saying, yeah, can't wait. Things planned, big days ahead. If it's anything like 2015, all right. And then there's some of you that are like, ah, kind of. But if it's anything like 2015, please know, please know, know, Lord. Regardless of how you're looking at this new year, can I just bring this to you humbly this morning and say this is what God's plan is for you this year, that you would love one another. This is God's desire that you would obey this command, and out of this desire and out of your obedience to obey this command, that you would see God's great blessing upon you in your life. That's my hope for all of us. Regardless of what you're looking at 2016 like, this is for all of us. Again, the main point, love one another. And how great is it that as John unfolds in this letter, he's going to tell us exactly how to do this. He's going to tell us how we can love one another. And listen, it really forms the foundation of the outline in front of you this morning. When it comes to loving one another, I want you to see this first. When it comes to loving one another, we have absolutely got to get the right source behind it. If you want to love one another in 2016, you've got to get the right source. What I mean by that? Well, hold on to that first, just a second. Now, the word love in John's letter here pops up 48 times in different forms. In the passage in front of you from 7 to 12, it pops up 12 times. And in those two verses, 7 and 8, it pops up six times. Love, love, love. Look at him again, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, he begins right away with this phrase, beloved, let us love one another. Now, in the original languages, that's only two words. It's only two words. Here's the most strict, rigid definition of what those two words are. I'll translate them in English for you just right now into two words as well. It's this, beloved, love. That's what he starts with. Beloved, love. Two words jammed right at the front, meant to be forceful, meant to be aggressive, meant to be no confusion allowed in this. He says, loved once, love. For, he says, love is from God. 
If we're going to love one another, we've got to get the right source. We've got to understand this firstly, that love, love comes from God. Without God, we would not know love. Without God, there is no such thing as love. We don't even have a framework for thinking and figuring out what love is. God is the one who defines love. But it comes to us in the middle of a broken and hurt world. And when things are broken, when things are fallen, they break and they shatter. And can I suggest to you this morning that the way we understand love is seen through a broken glass. We don't know because it's all we know. We don't know what love is because this is all we know. One of my favorite writers is Ray Bradbury. He's a science fiction writer. And he penned this really small story. It's called All of Summer in a Day. The story goes like this. It's a classroom setting filled with nine-year-old boys and girls on the planet Venus. It's a science fiction story, okay? It's not a true story. But the sun and, 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 and cycles around Venus are pretty strange, according to Ray Bradbury. They, 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 they exist like this. For seven years, you'll get rain. Seven straight years you get rain, but for a couple hours, every seven years, you're going to get some sunlight. Now, for these nine-year-old boys and girls, they're hearing about sunlight coming, sunlight's coming, sunlight's coming, but they're not believing because they can't remember. They were two years old when it happened last. They don't know because it's all they know. They're arguing that sunlight is not coming, all of them except for this one little girl named Margot. Margot is different than the rest of them. Because Margot is from Earth, just newly arrived to Venus. And she tells them, no, 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 no. The sun is coming. This is what the sun looks like. This is how it works. You don't know because it's all you know. But, but, but this is what the sun is like. Well, as you can imagine, the story pans out differently than Margot would want. The children don't believe her. They don't know because it's all they know. It's the same thing with love for us, loved ones. We don't know because it's all we know. We view love through the broken glass of sin. We don't get what it looks like. We, 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 we miss out on, on, on the sources of love. In fact, if, if you look around in the world, there's a ton of misconceptions about where love comes from, where the source of love is to be found. Uh, many people in the world will say, love is to be found in a person. Find that one. You know that one with the soft hands? Or maybe the rough hands, depending on what you're looking for. Find that one person that you can stare into their eyes and, yes. Or believe and look for that one to find that love in. That, that special someone, that spouse. Maybe for you, love is, is a child. Oh, lo love. This is where love is. Or a friend or a family member. For many, many, many people, the world will say the source of love is to be found in another person. Uh, if you're not on that page, maybe you're on a different page of saying, okay, well, love's not necessarily a person. Love is more in a thing. And we would say things like, you know, I love that sports team. I love that car. I love that $5 cup of coffee. I love that dog. I love that house. Love for me is not a person. Love is a thing. And if those fail, if love isn't a thing for me, if love isn't a person, then, then, then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the bookstore and pull a book off the shelf and open up the book and realize that love is not a person. Love is not a thing. Love is in me. I've got to figure out what love is and love myself. That's the misconceptions the world says. You don't know because it's all you know. John writes his letter and says, no, 
No, no, no, no. Love isn't a person. Love isn't a thing. Love isn't in yourself. Love comes from the omnipotent hand of an almighty God. Love comes from him, the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's who gives love. He's the source of love. Come unplug from him, you're not going to love. That's what John says. And then he goes on and he says this, and, 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 and he says this in verse 7. That's why he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You come unplugged, you won't love. But you're plugged in. You know this God. You love this God. You will love. you got to get the right source if we're going to love one another. you got to understand that love comes from God, but you also have to understand this, that if you know God, you will love the family of God. In the context of this passage, specifically, we are called to love the beloved Beloved, love one another. Beloved, love the beloved. That's what John's point is here. Love the family of God. Now, he's not saying love, don't, 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 don't ever love those outside the family of God. That's not what he's saying here. But what he is doing is he's stressing that love for the believer in Jesus Christ has to take place in the family of God. You've got to love the family of God. Now, isn't that hard, though? Isn't this amazing? Because honestly, sometimes the hardest people in the world to love are the people in the family of God. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Guy next to me on his cell phone. Oh, cell phone in church. Maybe he's reading his Bible. I don't care. You shouldn't have a cell phone in church. Or, oh, you got to be kidding me. I walked in here again today. I passed 30 people. Nobody said hi to me. <sighs> or, you got to be kidding me. Pastor, who I've introduced myself to three times, who still does not know my name. Isn't it true that sometimes the hardest people to love are the people that are in the family of God? And for more serious reasons than those. Sometimes there's real hurt, real pain inflicted in the family of God. But John says, beloved, love one another. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John Stott said this, for the loveless Christian, listen, for the loveless Christian to profess to know God and, have been born, and who have been born of God is like claiming to be intimate with a foreigner whose language we cannot speak or to have been born of parents whom we do not in any way resemble. You know what he's saying there? If you're going to claim to be a Christian and have no love in your life, that's essentially like you saying you're on a first-name basis with the prime minister of Japan, but you speak no Japanese. <laughs> Something's not right. The loveless Christian should not exist. Something's not right. You say you're a child of God, but you don't even look like him. John puts it this way further in our text. Look at verse 8. Anyone who does not love. Again, the context is believers not loving believers. Anyone who does not love does not know God. And why is that, he says? Because, because he says, God is love. If you're going to love one another, we've got to get the right source. We've got to know that love comes from God. And if we know God, we'll love the family of God because God himself is love. 
God is the walking, talking, breathing, universe bringing into existence, perfect picture of love. He is the embodiment of love. Turn in the dictionary to love, and God's there. He's the definition of it. His actions, his words, his thoughts, his accomplishment, his very character. He's the truest expression of what love is. Now, just think for a second if John chose a different word in this. God is love. He erases the love and says, God is blank. Imagine the words that could be put in there. God is power. God is submission. God is authority. God is distant. But John chooses. God is love. He is love. And then he says, you should love because that's what your father is like. You should love the beloved because that's what your father does. And if your father looks like this, you ought to look like this also. I have the, I have the blessing of coming, having my parents attend this church and, and, and people are often surprised when they meet my dad because my dad doesn't look a whole lot like me. You know, very frank, he has my height, he has my hairline. That's about it. My dad is broad-shouldered, he has blue eyes and blonde hair. He doesn't look like me at all. But, but people will start to put things together when I will stand next to my dad, and, and we'll start to joke with one another, and banter back and forth, and joking and joking and joking, as I feel only we can do. And people will look and say, ah, now I see where you get this from. Now I see the resemblance. You look like your dad. I see the resemblance. Is anyone saying that about you? Is anyone saying that about you in your life as a Christian? I see the way that you love that person. I know you don't have the same eye color as God, but look at the way you love him. I can tell who your father is. I know who your father is. You should love because that's what your father does. If we're going to love one another, we've got to get the right source. We've got to know that, he, that, know that he's the source of love, that it comes from him, and if we know him, we'll love. We've got to know that God is love. Now, as we leave this first point behind, there's a couple stumbling blocks you might trip over. The first one is this. Love stinks. Maybe you're sitting there saying that. Love stinks. You don't know what's been done to me, Craig, in the name of love. You don't know how hurt I've been when someone said they loved me and did this or did that or treated me like this. Love stinks. Maybe that's your stumbling block. Maybe you're on another one, though. You're saying, big whoop, big deal. I don't care. This whole love thing is weird. Love, uh. Maybe for you it's not so much love stinks or big whoop. It's what is love? What is love anyways? What's it mean? What's it look like? Now, thankfully, all three of these stumbling blocks are answered in the text ahead of us. Now, God's word has the answer for us. Let's look down at verse 9. Wherever you are, verse 9 and 10 speak to us. God's answer to these questions. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When it comes to loving one another, we need to get the right source. But I want you to see this secondly. You need to get the right definition. If you're going to love one another as God intends you to, you've got to get the right source, but you also have to have the right definition. Why is it so important to get the right definition? Because the world has shown us already that it gets wrong where the source of love comes from. It is certainly getting wrong the definition of love. The world will tell you love is warm, fuzzy feelings. It's, it, it's all strictly emotion-based. It's an emotional, it's a physical response to something that brings you great delight. That's what love is. Or others will say, you know what, love, love, is, love is a sexual response. This is what love looks like. That's how you define love in our culture. That's what love is. And so with these kinds of definitions, with, with, with these emotional response or physical response or sexual response, we have these, these kinds of definitions. Now, all of a sudden, love fits any different category at all. In fact, we find ourselves using the word love to describe anything from a chocolate bar to a child. Love is used over and over again so that you can say things like, I love the Chicago Cubs, to I love this time of year, to this is my daughter and I love her, to I love cheese. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? The world has been, the, the word love has been desensitized. And I don't think we should think that coincidental. I don't think we should think it strange that one of the singular greatest emotions and the singular greatest responses that our God has for us, that word love, has been devalued across the world. That the enemy has taken that word and twisted it to mean a multiple of different kinds of things. It's lost its meaning because it's been used over and 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 over again. I love this. I love that. I love her. I love him. I love that. I love that place. I love that thing. I love that. I love that food. I love, I love, I love. I'm so filled up with love. I don't have an ever-loving clue what the word means. You know, even in the ancient Greek, Greek culture, ancient Greek culture, they had four different words that they would use that we would use one word for. Four different words. Even in, in our Bible has two of these. Here, here's a couple of these words. And here's, here's one word they would use, eros. It's an intimate desire for another. It's an intimate sexual, physical desire for another. So picture a young lady with a desire for her husband. In English, she would say, I love him. Now, how about another word that the Greeks would use? This is storge. This is a family kind of love, a family kind of love. So this same young woman uh, would use that word for, for her grandfather, would use that word for, for her nephew or for her uncle. Uh, you know, I, I storge you. But in English, we say, I love him. How about this word? These two are in the Bible. Philea, that's a brotherly love. That same young woman now has a little brother, a little kid brother. She loves him so much. She, I philea you. But in English, you know what we say? I love him. Or how about agape, which incidentally is the word that is used every single time in this passage. Agape, a, a, a regal, a royal, an unconditional love by choice. This same woman has a child, and she looks at that little one and says, I, I agape you. But in English, you know what we say? You know what she says? I love him. You see what I mean? Even just a quick glance at how we use the word love in this culture, we recognize that it is the, one of the most overused and yet least understood word in the English language. And since the fall, that word has been twisted and twisted and twisted and twisted and twisted and twisted and twisted so that we can say and read with our eyes that God loves me and then turn around and use the phrase, I love chocolate cake. It's a completely different level. We need a definition. 
We need a better definition. Great. God knows this, and he gives us one in verses 9 through 10. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. Check this out, church. This is how God defines love. Verse 9, God sent his only son into the world. Let's pause there, and I want to do is use these two verses to build a definition, a better definition, God's definition of what love is. When God says he loves you, what does that mean? Well, first notice this. Love, love is a personal, a willful sacrifice of self. That's what, when God says, I love you, he means I personally, willfully sacrifice myself. I personally, willfully sacrifice myself. God sent his only son into the world. His only son. That phrase is picked up in John earlier, in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That phrase is also translated firstborn, but it doesn't mean that he was born first. It means he has a level of primacy. He's chief of all. He's over everything. He is most glorious, most high, most exalted. He has a level of primacy, firstborn. He's there, firstborn, the highest. But it also means that he's like his father. He's like his father, very, very much like his father. In fact, in the language of the Trinity, the son is like the father and the spirit is like the son and the father. And the ways that they are so alike, the ways that they are most alike has to do with this idea of love. In fact, the Trinity, the members of the Trinity have, loving, have lovingly cared for one another and loved one another from before even time began. John tells us this in John 3. He says, the Father loves the Son and has given him all things into his hands. The Spirit is also like the Son and the Father, and from eternity past there has been this love. Jesus says this in his prayer in John chapter 17. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because, look at this, you have loved me from before the foundation of the world. That's a mind-blowing verse. What does that say? That says that there has been a relationship of love, a relationship of love between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, a relationship of pure love for one another, the members of the Trinity, from even before eternity. God has loved. Uh, 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 Tim Keller puts it this way. He says this. He says, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving them. And because the Father, Son, and Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, look at this. God is infinitely, profoundly happy. God is infinitely, profoundly happy because he is infinitely and profoundly loved in the members of the Trinity from eternity past. Does that blow your mind? Put it in a human perspective, okay, for a second. Maybe you do have that special someone in your life. Maybe that's that, that spouse that you had that period where you fell in love with. I'm reading that. I'm thinking of my wife, Catherine. I had the luxury of dating my wife in, in, in the city of Chicago. There's millions of people in the city of Chicago, but I got to tell you, when I was dating her, there was only one. There was only this brown-haired, dark brown-eyed, fiery American that I loved. You know, millions of people. There could have been millions of chickens in Chicago. I wouldn't have noticed. We would go places. It was just me and her. Go get coffee, me and her. Go read a book in the library, me and her. Go for long walks because you're poor, me and her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Me and her. Love, love, love. The world could have stopped. It was just me and her. And then we got married 
And then the me and her and the me and her engine carries on. And then all of a sudden there's me and her and now little her. And then little her and now little him. And now the family that God has brought into my life consists of a love of my wife and I and three kids. Love, love. And, and, and God's word tells us that in, in understanding marriage this way helps us to understand creation. Understanding marriage, understanding it as a husband and a wife filled with love for one another and now bringing in someone to love. Not bringing in someone to fill up their love tanks, but bringing in someone, hey, let's share this great love. Let's have this person come in and welcome that person. Let's pour our love on that person. Understanding marriage and family in that way leads us to understanding God's design for all of creation. Do you see this? Do you understand this? That God did not make you because he was lacking in love. He was full in love. He's been full in love forever. The Father and the Son and the Spirit fully loving each other. You're fully in love. Why would you bring something into that? You wouldn't bring something into that because you need it. God didn't create you because he needed love. God didn't create you because he needed more glory. He was getting glory in himself. Why did he create you? He didn't create you because he needed you. Listen, he didn't create you because he needed you. He created you because he wanted you. He brought you, he formed you, he fashioned you so that he could bring you into the center of him and pour love in abundance upon you. That's why you were made, loved ones. You weren't made to be completely all over, loving, I just gotta, all I gotta do is bow down and do the command, all I gotta do is, God made you so that he could love you. God made you so that he could dump truckloads of love upon you. That's why you're here. But you miss it sometimes, don't you? You lose it sometimes. God made you because he wanted to give you love. Because he wants to bring you into this great and awesome dance of his. God is infinitely and profoundly happy from eternity past. And God was infinitely and profoundly happy to send his son to the world. He sent his son to the world. Now what was the world like? I'll tell you, the world was made by him, but it looked nothing like what he made. What was the world like? What was God, why would you do this? Why would you send someone that you love so very much, perfectly? Why would, you, why would the Father send the Son? Why would the Son be willing to, be, to leave and to go, go to this earth, this place that would reject him, this place that would despise him? The Father knows he'll be mocked. The Father knows he'll be ridiculed. Few will recognize his glory. He'll walk around hungry. He'll walk around homeless. He'll be whipped. He'll be struck. His beard will be pulled. They will declare him to be in league with Satan. They will hang him on a cross. They will kill him. It's the world he made but it looks nothing like what he made. It's the worst possible place ever to go. Would you send someone you love so much to the worst possible place? But that's what God did. So we're backing up and saying, why? Why would God do this? Why would God sacrifice so much? Why would God send the one he loves so much to the worst possible place? Verse nine tells us, look down. He says, so that, so that we might live through him. He came for you so that you might live through him. You see, understand this, loved ones, that love is a personal, it's a willful sacrifice of self for the good of another. For the good of another. I will do this for you. And that's what Christ does. He came for you. He came for me so that I might live, so that you might live. Christ Jesus, with his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, brings us the life that we have lost, real life, true life, no life to be stolen by the enemy, 
but fixed with eternity with him. He comes, he comes to bring me life. This is self-giving sacrifice. And notice the self-giving sacrifice is through him. The self-giving sacrifice that God gives is not a trinket. The self-giving sacrifice that God gives is not happy days. The self-giving sacrifice that God gives is himself. He comes, he sends Jesus Christ so that you and I might have life, yes. Forgiveness of sins, yes. Eternity, eternity in heaven, yes. But the greatest thing that God gives us is himself. He gives us Jesus Christ. You and I get Christ. This is the self-giving kind of love that God gives to us. This is the awesome picture of love that the world misses. And notice this, notice this also in verse 10. Notice this verse 10. Love is, yes, it's a personal, willful sacrifice of self for the good of another. But notice this, it's also unconditional. It's unconditional. Verse 10, he goes on, in this, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And no, we didn't. We didn't love him. We rebelled against him. We were his enemies. The Bible tells us that we were by nature children of wrath. We were far from the glory, far from the love of God. We were running away from God. The picture of us on earth is not us standing on earth begging that God would come and help us. The picture of us before Christ is us standing on earth begging that God would go away. Leave me alone. I'm living for me. If you're a parent, you know what it's like to love unconditionally. God just flicks the switch when that little one arrives. It's not perfect all the time, but you know more and more and more what it looks like. It's an unconditional love. That child, when they grow up, could say to you things like, go away. And in your heart you say, I love you. Can't stop loving you. That child may grow up and say, you know what, I can't take you anymore, Dad. Just get out of here. Get out of my face. Stop bugging me. And in your heart, you're saying, I can't stop loving you. Leave me alone forever, Dad. I'm, I'm going, you and Mom, I'm out. Have a nice life. And your heart can't not say, but I love you, and I will always love you. I can't turn it off, son. This is how God loves us. Go away, God. I'm living for myself. I know what's best for my life. I don't care what you say to me. But I love you. And I can't not love you. God, God I don't care how you're telling me I should live. I'm going to go out and I'm going to live my own way. You're telling me it's going to hurt me a lot. I don't care. I'm going to live for myself. I'm doing it my way. No more of you. Go away. Have a nice, have a nice, have a nice, have a nice, have a nice life, God. God's like, God's like, but I love you. I can never stop loving you. It's an unconditional love. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Just like you with your kids. And even like parenting Love is a personal, willful sacrifice of self. It's for the good of another. It's unconditional. But notice this as well. It happens even when it hurts. You love even when it hurts. The text tells us in verse 10 that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big word the Bible uses. It means to deal with the wrath of God, to satisfy, to quench 
like the fire that is put out by water, the wrath of God. And the Son of God, the most loved Son of God, bears the fullness of the wrath of God against our sin. The Son of God willingly picks it up. Why does he pick it up? Because he says to us just as much as the Father says to us, I love you. I can't not love you. I'll take the wrath of my Father so you don't have to get the wrath. I'll take the wrath, you get the life. I'll take the death, you get freed. I'll satisfy it in full and complete. I'll bear it for you because I love you. Even when it hurts, he bears it. God loves us so much that he willingly, willingly sends his son to endure the wrath that I deserve. And we think sometimes only of the propitiation as a hurtful, impactful thing upon the son of God. But how hard is it that the father had to watch that too? The hearts are breaking as they do what they need to do so that you and I get the freedom, you and I get the forgiveness Listen, listen, the fullest meaning of God is this love on display. Let's put the definition all together now. Love, according to God, is personal, unconditional, self-giving sacrifice for the good of another, regardless of personal cost. Let me say this again. Love is a personal, this is God's definition now. It's personal. I get my hands dirty. It's unconditional, regardless of your response. I give my self-giving sacrifice for your good, regardless of what it costs me. That's how God defines love. And that's lost in the world around us. When you and I walk around and we say things like, oh, I love cheese. Really? Like you've personally, unconditionally loved cheese. You've given yourself for the sake of cheese, for its good, regardless of what it would cost you. You say that sometimes. I mean, it it makes you not fun at parties, but it's the truth. See, the... What God's calling us to is a different kind of love, a personal, unconditional, self-sacrificing kind of love for the sake of another regardless of personal cost. Love is not my emotions. Love is not a team. Love is not the food I eat. Love is not the car I drive. Love is not the job I'm good at. Love is not found in the movie I just watched. Love is personal, unconditional, self-giving sacrifice for the good of another regardless of personal cost. And this brings us right into verse 11. Look with me at the text. Verse 11. The loved, loved, loved ones, loved ones. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. When it comes to loving one another, as God would have us, we need to get the right source We need to get the right definition. I want you to see this lastly. We need to get the right proof. You need to get the right proof in your life. Got to get the right source. Got to get the right definition. Got to get the right proof. If I'm even going to begin to love the beloved, I need to get this definition applied into my life. You see what he's calling us to in verse 11, right? God's not calling me to a chocolate cake, sports team kind of love. He's calling me to love. Love the beloved just like he loves them. Beloved ones, loved ones, if this is how God loves us, This is how we should love each other. If God so loved us like this, we also ought to love one another. Personally, unconditionally, sacrificially, for your good, regardless of my personal cost. That's how I'm supposed to love. The world gets this wrong too. You know, if there's misconceptions about where love is to be found, and there's misconceptions about what the definition of love is, well, there's certainly misconceptions about what the proof of love looks like also. 
How do you know that I love you? Well, you wrote me that note. It was a note. Or, or, or how do I know that you love me? You, you think happy thoughts about me. How do I know that you love me? You get me nice things. How, how do you know that I love you? Well, we're intimate together. Do you see how miserably short these definitions, these proofs of love are? By themselves, they're just inadequate. That's not love. It's less than. It's less than. Listen, this is less than this personal, unconditional, self-giving sacrifice for the good of another regardless of personal cost. And I want to show you the key to this. Because how can you do this? How can you do this? If you were going to get up from today, the message today, you're going to walk out and say, okay, this is it. I've got to change. Change my life. 2016, encouraged by this message. I'm going to take this message and put it in my family. And now I'm going to love. Love like how God wants me to love. I'm going to love my wife that way. I'm going to love my kids that way. I'm going to love my husband that way. I'm going to love the family that way. I'm going to love my neighbors. I'm going to love my boss that way. That's how I'm going to love. I'm going to love personally, sacrificially, unconditionally for the, for the good of the other person. Uh, regardless. I can't even remember the definition. How do you do this? I'll tell you the truth right now. If you say, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better at this, and you walk out, you're not going to do better. You're not going to change. You can't change. And here's the key. You cannot love someone else until you understand the love of God upon you. Let me say that a different way. Only when you understand what God has done for you can you begin to love others the way that God wants you to? Love one another, he says, but you cannot do it until you see the love of God. Why is that? Well, because the world is broken, right? The world has fallen, right? And love, as I work love in my life, the proof of love in my life looks differently. It looks broken. It looks fragile. In fact, much, most, all of the world would practice what I would call this kind of reciprocating love. Let me pull up a diagram. Reciprocating love looks like this, okay? This is me, and I'm loving that person, and that person is loving me back. And my tank is getting full, and I'm filling their tank, and look at that, back and forth. I'm cutting the lawn, I'm, I'm, I'm shoveling the driveway, I'm remembering her birthday. I'm taking her out for dates. I'm doing this. I'm rubbing her feet. Uh, I'm doing all this great stuff. Loving. Lo I'm writing her notes. Love, love. And then she's loving me the exact same way. Look at that. Home Depot gift card. Look at that. <laughs> she's loving me. It's love. I'm giving her love, and she's giving me love right back. That's how it works in the world, right? I love something as long as it satisfies me. I love that team. Man, they win. I love that team. I love to root for them, even though they, they just feel, I love them. I love them. I love that food. It tastes so good. It makes me feel good. I love that person. She's perfect. She's beautiful. She gives me what I want. I love to get. That's reciprocating love. I love to get filled up back. And it works perfectly. And you know what ends up happening is you get, you get a modern day culture where two young people would stand in front of a group of people and say, I promise to be yours as long as I would love you. That's very different. That's very different. That's reciprocating love. I promise to be yours as long as you would love me. Now the problem with this definition, the problem with reciprocating love, let me pull the second diagram, is this. What happens if this happens? What happens if I love and love and love and love and nothing? 
What happens if I love and love and a trickle comes back to me? You know what's going to happen? I know what's going to happen because this is what happens in all of our lives. I love and love and love and nothing, nothing, nothing. So I'm going to, uh, my love is love, love, love. Less, less. I pull back, you pull back. I pull back, you pull back. I pull back, you pull back. And all of a sudden, we're both pulled back. And I look at you, and you look at me, and we say, it's been a good run. It's been a few years. It's time to change. I love only as much as I get filled up. But if she's not filling me up, or if he's not filling me up, or that thing's not filling me up, then all of a sudden, I stop loving it, and it's done. That's the problem with reciprocating love. And that's where it will always go to. If so if you're walking out of here today saying, this is how I'm going to love. I'm going to love that person like this, and I'm going to do it unconditionally. You're going to end up like you're going to not make it. What happens if this person gets sick? What happens if that person is, is laid up in a bed for weeks and months and months? Is, is, are you going to pull back? What happens if that person goes through a dark trial, a dark season of the soul? You're going to pull back? What happens if that person's genuinely hurting and broken and struggling? You gonna pull back? John says, no. This is not how it's supposed to go. The proof of love looks like this. This is God's love, last diagram. This is how I love. I give and 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 I give. No matter what it costs me, I just do it no matter what her response. I give, I give, I give, I give, I give, I give, I give. My tank is always full. My tank is always giving. I don't care her response. I will do it sacrificially. I'll do it over and over again, regardless of what she says to me. I love and love and love and love and love and love and love. And why do I love and love and love? Why am I so filled with love? Because this is falling down upon me. Because the love of God is overwhelming me. Because I'm considering God and his word and his truth and what God's saying to me, I love you with an unstoppable love. I loved you so much. I sent my son for you. I loved you so much that he gave his life for you. We love you so much. We want your best. We speak the truth to you. Come, come, follow us. Find the greatest gift of life in me. Find the love that you've always been looking for. Be loved, be loved, and then hear from him. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you as an orphan. I will walk with you every single dark season of the soul. I will walk you in the good days and in the bad days, and someday soon. I will call you to your eternal glory. You will stand with me. You will stand with me and I will wipe the tears from your eyes and then you will know what love looks like. That's the love that God gives. And when your heart is overflowing with that love, then you give and you give and you give. You know what it looks like? It looks like you with a little paper Dixie cup underneath Niagara Falls pouring down upon you. Love of God, love of God, love of God, love of God. And someone comes up to you and says, Daddy, can I have a little glass of water? Can I have a little love? Sure, I got tons. Honey, can you love? I got tons. Pastor, can you love me? I got tons. I got tons of love. This is the cycle that John wants for us in our lives, but the reality is that some of us are stuck in the other way. Some of us are stuck in that reciprocal kind of love. Maybe you're giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, and that person isn't getting, giving back. The problem is that you're missing that. Maybe you're getting and getting and getting, and you're turning around and realizing, wow, I haven't done any. The problem is you're missing this. Or maybe there's no love in your life and you're exposing your life right now, and you're realizing there's a profound lack of love for people around me. The problem is you're missing this. You're missing the great love that the gospel 
You're missing the love that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. All of us, listen, all of us, no matter where you are today, all of us need that love in our lives. We need it for ourselves. And now all of a sudden when God says, okay, it's time to love that person. It's time to sacrifice. You're saying, not, not, oh, I have to sacrifice. You're saying, I'll do it with joy, Lord. And God says, it's time to love that person. Step in. I want you to endure that despite no, no matter what their response. Then you're going to say, okay, I'll endure because I'm so loved. And God's calling you, okay, step into it personally. Get in there. Get your hands dirty. You're going to say, okay, I'm going in. God's calling you, okay, uh, give that up. Give that up. You're going to say, okay, God, I give it up. I don't need it. I'll love them. Do you understand this is how Christ loved you? Christ was able to love you, even though you were enemies, even though we were far from him, even though we never, ever gave back love to him. He was able to love us because he was so filled with that love himself, from the Father, from the Spirit. And that's what we need. How do you love that hard person in your life? Genuinely, that hard person, maybe for you, it's your husband. Maybe for you, it's your wife, or your kids, or your boss, or your neighbor. How do you love them, even when you know you'll get nothing back? Will you love them when you know the gospel, and you're filled up with this great and awesome love, and only when you see the love of God upon you can you love someone else? Now, John closes with these words in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That word perfected means to bring to completion. No one has ever seen God, he says, but wondrously, miraculously, if you are loving people, if you're loving the beloved, if you're loving the family of God, then, then, then the glory of God is shown to others. Do you know that one of the greatest ways that God wants to love his people is through the love of his people? Let me say that again. One of the greatest ways that God wants to love you is through the love of his people showing their love for you. And when you do that, when you do that, the glory of God is made manifest. Listen, only when you see, only when you see the love of God like this, does fruit really begin to grow in your life. You're able to love that hard person. Legalism is turned away, and love controls you. When you love others like he loves, personally, unconditionally, sacrificing yourself for their good, regardless of what it costs you, and pointing to Jesus all the way, you prove, you prove that you belong to him. And someone comes along and says, hey, you don't have the same eye color as God, but I see the resemblance. I know who your father is because your father loves like this. Eric Raymond, he's a pastor. He puts it this way. The world says, love for the purpose of self. But the gospel says, love at the expense of self. The world says, what can I gain from you? But the gospel says, what can I give to you? The world pursues love for the fulfillment of self and is left empty. Listen, Christians pursue love at the expense of self and are made full. Christians pursue love at the expense of self and are made full. And the key for all of this is more love for God. You want to love one another as God would intend you to? Then love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Listen, I'll end with where I began by saying to you this. I've got a ton of room to grow in this. 
As I've been going through God's word just this past couple weeks and recognizing where I'm flawed and failing, I don't stand before you as a pastor who's put this all together. I'm not this great guy who knows how to love fully. In fact, I'm challenged. I'm challenged to grow, challenged to change, challenged for more. And I pray, Lord, and I pray the Lord that you are too.